Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we dig into the five most talked about stories from the world of social media. On the pod today, we have two, yes, two new friends. First, we have Kylie McDonald, an associate of Social and Connections, and Ari Santana, a community manager here at Gray. Hi, Kylie. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. What do you think of this idea of dry January catching on? Are brands early or late to the trend? I mean, we've seen a ton of alcohol brands that have jumped on it immediately for years, but now we're seeing more lifestyle brands tap into it, which I think is interesting. TikTok for sure is where self-care is being generated the most. You're seeing people walk you through their attempts of the year at trying to take care of themselves and have better mental awareness and wellness. So I think it's kind of an obvious trend that's going to keep catching on. Heineken in the Super Bowl has already said it's going to have the first non-alcoholic year ad. I think that's definitely a result of some of the UGC we're seeing on TikTok. So rad. Awesome. Hello, Ari. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. What do you think of Paris Hilton promoting the Paris Olympic Games? Is it perfect or is it a little too on the nose? In the words of my very famous millennial queen, Paris Hilton, I think that's hot. It'll be really interesting to see how they continue to sustain that effort and kind of hype around Paris and the Paris Olympics coming into 2024, knowing that that's like a year away. But as we've all seen, years go by really quickly. So it'll be fun. Thank you for that. I'm Joey Scarillo, and I thought I was the millennial queen, but that's okay. And I have dabbled in dry January before, but you know, all I have to say is let me know when it's February. All right. Let's get into the things. Ari is up first. She's going to talk about Instagram, who is set to remove the shopping tab. Whoa. Kylie will tell us about artists pushing back against AI generation tools and how Meta responded with a deal with Shutterstock. Third, Twitter extends a peace offering to brands with free ads, and Ari will talk about that. Then Kylie will break down TikTok, who will make it easier for brands to collaborate with mega stars with their new talent management portal. And finally, Ari tells us about how gamers rejoice as HBO's The Last of Us and the accompanying podcast are both a hit. All right, let's go. Let's jump into it. Ari, tell us about Instagram set to remove the shopping tab. So our navigation bars are going to look a little different on Instagram. They'll be putting back that compose button, which is that famous plus sign from the early days of Instagram back to the center stage and kind of shifting over the Reels tab that has taken over Instagram's middle of the navigation bar for the past few years. And with that, the neglected shopping tab, at least for me, will be removed from the navigation bar entirely. That doesn't mean Instagram's getting rid of their shopping experience on the platform, but they're in this kind of adjustment period as we see physical stores opening up and a lot of people going back to the shopping behaviors that they had prior to the pandemic. Not to say that online shopping is still ticking upwards and will continue to become more and more of that shopping behavior in the coming years. But Instagram's trying to figure out 
how they can fit into that in a more authentic and kind of beneficial way for brands. In China, we're seeing live shopping experiences kind of coming into fruition and being a driving force in online shopping behavior. But it's still too early and the verdict's still out on whether or not that behavior will translate into Western culture as well. I have high hopes knowing that on TikTok, we see a lot of those TikTok lives of people selling crystals and tumblers and things like that online and kind of bringing consumers into that kind of creationary journey. But it'll be really interesting to see how Instagram continues to try and tap into that and adjust to this new behavior that we're seeing among Gen Z. Kylie, a few months ago, we talked about how influencers like the Kardashians were arguing that Instagram was too focused on videos and not images. So while this new change is not exactly what the critics were asking for, do you think there is any connection here between that criticism and this change? Absolutely. You know, influencers and just regular users have been asking for Instagram to go back to Instagram and stick to its roots with still images. And we're even seeing that on other platforms. TikTok is prioritizing its new slides where still images just rotate through instead of short form video. The algorithm has been prioritizing that recently. Instagram is following suit with now prioritizing their create tab so people can have more personal images again. Like you said, Instagram needs to become Instagram again. And this is just one step towards that. That's right. We like when these these platforms stay true to who they are. All right, let's talk about something that is a little bit more current, something on the cutting edge. We've been talking about AI for the last couple of weeks on this show. Kylie, tell us about how artists are pushing back against these AI tools and how Meta responded with a deal with Shutterstock. We've all heard about the other lawsuits with AI generation tools, specifically with AI generated copies so far. But now it's even becoming a bigger issue with images and digital art. So a trio of artists have filed a lawsuit with claims that generative AI art tools like Stable Diffusion and Midjourney are violating copyright laws as we speak because these tools are scraping the web and taking their original work. And some of these companies are even profiting off of that work, which I find the most offensive (laughs) of someone who, you know, on social teams, we work with creators all the time. So it's just disheartening to see that some companies are profiting off of those creators without compensation. But right now, the arguments are going back and forth between whether these generative tools are taking bits and pieces of the copyrighted work to create, you know, a collage proof of work, or if these tools are creating these pictures from scratch based on patterns that they're observing and therefore it's original work. So there's two sides to the argument for sure. But as social teams and marketers keep watch for their brands, the relationships between future creators and these tools is becoming more volatile. So it is concerning for our teams. We are proceeding with caution for sure. Creators are angry that the tool companies can use their work and charge for the source material. Bigger brands like TikTok, Google, Meta, they're also proceeding with caution. And when we get into discussions about these generative AI prompts in particular, it's even more concerning because you can literally tell some of these tools, specific artists and creators' names to copy their style, which personally, that's what struck me as the most concerning part of the whole argument and why some of these brands are really taking a step back and reevaluating what they want to pursue in AI work and what is worth standing up for their creators. Google has explained that it's not ready to launch its own AI tools and has already called out that AI generation 
and violates its guidelines in terms of copy, we kind of expect that it's going to be the same thing with images and digital work. And then Meta in particular has struck a new deal with Shutterstock that will enable Meta to utilize Shutterstock's library of visual and audio content to fuel its AI tools that it's developing as we speak. So this basically signals an acknowledgement for compensation of its creators and original artwork for the training of AI tools. So to sum all that up, because it's a very complicated topic, it seems like a best practice moving forward for large platforms to compensate their creators for their original work with AI tools. And our brands in particular should follow suit in advocating for our creators and making sure that we check all the legal boxes when we're using AI generation. I want to talk a little bit more about this meta and Shutterstock part of the story. Ari, do you think that that deal, that partnership between Meta and Shutterstock is better for Meta or better for Shutterstock? That's a good question. I would say it's probably better for Meta because now they have that ability to kind of pivot and have a different take on AI and AI art overall, allowing for the concerns that advertisers and marketers will rightfully have, knowing that these lawsuits are here and kind of give them a way to pivot and adjust outside of those like copyright potential claims that are almost inevitable with other AI offerings. Kylie, why with all of this AI technology and these lawsuits moving fast, why should brands be paying attention? I mean, brands need to be paying attention because creator partnerships are right now at the forefront of social. We see all of these different platforms launching their creator marketplaces, making sure we're making room for creators to be compensated and to feel confident in that their work is being pushed out in the right ways and that they can equally benefit from having these platforms push their content. So brands need to be paying attention to this because they need to follow suit with that of making sure we're advocating for creators and what they stand for and making sure those partnerships are not volatile like they are right now within these lawsuits. I just think like these creator marketplaces are definitely the future. You know, TikTok just launched one. So we need to be paying attention and keeping watch on that because we want to have brands that have good relationships with creators so we can have the most authentic content possible. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So speaking of brands, let's jump over to Twitter now for our third thing. Ari, tell us about Twitter extending the peace offering to brands with free ads. Twitter recently in some email offerings said that they would match ad spending up to $250,000 with a catch that like half a million dollars worth of that advertising spend needs to be run before February 28th. Obviously, this is a really big push for Twitter to kind of pull themselves up from their bootstraps, for lack of a better word, knowing that we have this huge mass exodus of advertisers and marketers pulling ad spend, pulling their presence from the platform when Elon Musk came to take over Twitter, essentially. And with that, they're really trying to kind of develop a relationship with brands again and incentivize them to come back to the platform in any way, shape that they can. And this is just one of those methods, knowing that advertising revenue is Twitter's bread and butter in terms of the money that they make to kind of keep the lights on. I'm a little concerned that this is a tactic that's a little like blatant 
in terms of like trying to get advertisers back instead of addressing a lot of these concerns that people have about the platform, about Elon Musk and about the way that he's running Twitter, kind of just dangling cash in their face because at the end of the day, that's kind of a hard bargain to drive. Like obviously people love free things and advertisers and marketers are almost no different. Like $250,000 can go a long way if spent properly. But I think this is definitely one of those things where if you had a stance, especially if you're a brand that had a stance on cutting ties with Twitter until these things were addressed, like you need to stick to that or people are going to see that as you as a brand kind of knowing that your bottom line is more important than the people that you service and the people that you sell your product to. Simple question, Kylie. Will this work? Will brands go back to Twitter because of this? There's also two outside factors to this, in my opinion. Elon Musk also just pinned a tweet to his own account that Twitter, you're going to see both sides of the political spectrum more. If you're a Republican, you're going to see more Democratic news. If you're a Democrat, you're going to see more Republican news. It's on his personal Twitter, so it's not a done deal on Twitter itself, but he did pin it to his original account. So you never know what's going to happen there. The second thing we need to consider here is the fact that February 28th is the window between now and then the Super Bowl is there. So brands that are doing ad spend during the Super Bowl, if they want another touch point for their consumers that didn't watch the Super Bowl to then be able to see the content that was in that ad and the discussions around the ad outside of organic discussions, they can have paid ads on the app. There's two big things to consider there. Do you want your content next to potentially polarizing news? Probably not. (laughs) But also, it's another social touch point for your content and for your messaging to hit more consumers. The Super Bowl is also a hot time on Twitter. So like, yes, those organic conversations are happening, but you can't guarantee that. And paid ads do guarantee that people will see your messaging. So there's two sides to that coin. I feel like I'm not qualified enough to weigh in on whether a brand should do that ad spend and take that risk, but it's definitely going to be beneficial for them if they do. Yeah, that's an individual choice that every brand needs to make for themselves and with their agency and media partners. You know, it's interesting, though. Timing is everything. Money is everything. The incentive is money and the timing is around the Super Bowl. Those are always two very important factors to keep an eye on when these decisions come out from these platforms. All right, let's jump over to another platform that we all know and love. Kylie, tell us about TikTok and how they are making it easier for brands to collaborate with mega stars with their new talent management portal. This sounds great. Yes. I quickly mentioned this earlier, but TikTok is testing a new element within its creator portal, and it is a talent management element. So this essentially benefits top TikTok creators with organized promotion of their curated brand by managing all aspects of a creator's listings as a client, including managing deal flow, negotiating contracts on behalf of talent, handling the creative feedback and review various reports and metrics about a campaign's performance. So basically, talent managers have full access to all of these elements within the portal, but they can't actually sign into a TikTok creator's personal account, which is big. So the creators can have that trust with the platform and their talent manager, which I found super significant. Agents will be able to display their clients' talent to brands, which could help refine and improve their sponsored content in pitch work. And what we mean by pitch work here is that brand teams can choose to work with talent 
talent by reaching out directly by like a direct invitation or through application campaigns where they'll create a brief and then creators pitch themselves for the opportunity to work with certain brands. So this is huge because in the past, TikTok has received critical feedback because of its reliance on facilitating brand deals to help top stars earn compensation because originally they had to try to surpass a general pool of creator funds. So now this is TikTok's effort to really connect to their creators and make sure they're getting the best deals with brands to improve their compensation rates. Then another implication to add here is that TikTok stars are now becoming major celebrities and they need more large-scale platform tools to add legitimacy to their fame on the app. The legitimacy here will also be important for social teams when evaluating which creators to employ and can remove a lot of that guesswork when we're looking for those creators. Ari, this may surprise you, but I am not a famous TikTok star. So I'm curious, and because I, I truly do not know, is this tool a game changer for brands or is this what we should be expecting from TikTok. I think it's definitely one of those things that we expect to continue to develop when they launched their creator marketplace. In the beginning, there were some bugs that needed to be addressed. And I think they'll continue to develop that to have a smoother transactional relationship between creator and brand. It alleviates a lot of the stress, especially on influencer strategists and marketers who need to figure out a lot of personal information about a creator and about a person's best interest in their brands and allow that relationship to develop within a platform that the creator is comfortable with, that the creator's agency is comfortable with, and that the brand can continue to monitor both on email and the traditional ways of doing that. And then, of course, as well as being on the platform itself, knowing that anything on TikTok can change, any video that they make can pop off and kind of keeping that viewership of that creator really easy for an agency or a brand to kind of monitor. Yeah, that sounds great. These tools, I think, can be really, really helpful for brands. It sounds like they're way ahead of the game when it comes to these tools in the talent management portal. All right, let's talk about a fun one here. Ari, tell us about HBO's The Last of Us and the podcast that goes with it. And it sounds like they're a hit. So you tell us. The Last of Us premiered this month on HBO and HBO Max. And it garnered 4.7 million U.S. viewers, which is amazing. It's the second largest debut since Boardwalk Empire, which premiered well over a decade ago with 4.8 million views. But of course, House of Dragon is still the biggest premiere of HBO history with nearly 10 million views. With that, it also had 69% increase of first-time U.S. downloads of the HBO Max app across iOS and Android devices, which is really interesting. It kind of launched HBO Max app to the number four spot in overall iPhone app rankings. It had great sentiment among gamers because The Last of Us show stayed true to that source material of the game itself. There are hundreds of thousands of videos showing a side-by-side -side comparisons of the introductions and the first couple of scenes that lay the foundation of our main protagonist and his relationship with one, his daughter, and then how that translates to his relationship with the main characters. What's really cool and interesting about The Last of Us in comparison to other popular gaming shows like Netflix's Arcane is that HBO Max has decided to also have another touch point of also airing a podcast that kind of reflects upon and dives deeper into the episodes that we're seeing along with 
50 episodes that come out, viewers are able to kind of go back into that headspace if they're craving more, able to tap into the thinkings of our director. And they get to figure out and pull back the curtain of the show and tie it back into the game. So it leads to a larger like media ecosystem that makes casual fans and super fans into a community that's really awesome to see. Wow. When you said Boardwalk Empire premiered over a decade ago, a little piece of me died inside, crushed me. Oof. Okay, Kylie, are you a gamer? Spoiler alert, I am not. <laughs> okay, I'm not I'm not either. So I'm curious from your point of view, were you or are you excited for this show? Are you excited to watch it? I for sure am excited by this show. I've seen the first episode. I've listened to parts of the podcast. And also just on recent brands, we've tried to break through into gaming culture with everyday brands. For me, what's been interesting about this is the discussions on Twitter and on other social platforms have been evaluating some of these gaming decisions, both from the game and in the show, as like talking about each character has their moral backstory. So there's a big emphasis on how this game and show have broken through the barrier that is like gaming is escapism. Gaming doesn't reflect our daily lives that much. It's like us trying to get away from that and create worlds where anything is possible. Whereas this game and show kind of brings it all back into perspective of thinking about about moral dilemmas all the time. And that's super meta to think about. But I just find that human element in it super intriguing. You know, it's another drama show for me to watch at night, yet it's still a video game. I find it super interesting and the moral dilemma conversations that are going on on social are captivating. Ari, are you a gamer? I'm a gaming enthusiast, but I myself do not game. Okay, you're an enthusiast. All right, so I'm curious, are you familiar with this game? I am. How did you think the show stacked up against the game? I think they did a really good job at taking really key moments of the game and translating that into the show itself. Obviously, some liberties would be made to kind of create that same emotional connection and that storytelling for those who aren't familiar with the game or aren't familiar with like the idea of who these people are or how this came to be without fully giving away the story in like the first 15 minutes. It's been really exciting to see kind of how and when they take those liberties, but knowing that when they do, it's super intentional and something you can look back on, especially in that podcast and be like, well, why did you do this? No answer goes unanswered, which I find important. Have you ever listened to an accompanying companion podcast for any other show? I have not, actually. I've definitely seen people make podcasts around shows and continue to like speculate or like share fan theories, but it's never something that I've sought out or like been in the know about for a show that I've watched prior. What about you, Kylie? Have you listened to any companion podcasts? I was a huge Game of Thrones person, <laughs> which like, I guess tells a lot about me. This was purely because of my best friend as well. But so we would listen to a bunch of podcasts really breaking down each decision by characters and like the writers, especially my friend is a copywriter. So he was super into the writing of it. And the podcast for The Last of Us feels very similar to that, which I enjoy. Yeah, I've listened to the companion podcast for Succession, which is hosted by Kara Swisher. It's great. It's just getting into the minds of the characters and the decisions they make and breaking all that down. All right, friends. Well, that does it for this podcast. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, 
review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or send us a thing you want to talk about. Or if you want to create a companion podcast for this podcast, you can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel today, Kylie and Ari. Come back anytime. Let's make it a thing. And as always, I want to thank Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And finally, thank you, listener. Be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.